Welcome. We are now in the final chapters of this story. If you've made it this far, you know that I usually try to wax poetic about my life and some theme that might be featured in the following chapter. I love writing these thoughts down, as it gives me a chance to not only dive deeper into my story, but it allows me to understand my characters and myself a little better. Today's intro is no different, but it does come with a little caveat. Here goes. I'm a movie nerd. I take the viewing of new movies very seriously, often to the annoyance of friends and family. Even before COVID, I virtually stopped going to see movies in the theater, even though I loved the popcorn and everything involved with the, the movie theater experience. And I stopped because I got so bummed when people started talking too loud or flashing the light from their phone around. At home, the lights are turned off. I shh people. I make sure the volume is loud enough that nearby objects rattle with explosions or the stab of a synthesizer. The one thing I simply can't do is watch a movie on television. Commercials always seem to interrupt the most pivotal moments. Just as the masked killer breaks into the closet where the babysitter is hiding, or when the star-crossed lovers rush toward each other in the pouring rain, or when the bloodied hero is about to disarm the ticking bomb. Suddenly a cartoon bear is talking about the softness of their 17-ply toilet paper. But why am I ranting about all of this? Because, again, this story is coming to a close. I had a marathon writing session this past weekend, and I came to the end. I feel good about it, and I hope those of you who have been listening will enjoy it too. Endings, though, are brutal. And you can never please everyone. Think Sopranos, Lost, Game of Thrones. That said, including this episode, there are six shorter chapters left and an epilogue. And I'm going to present it to you sort of commercial-free. This will be the last extended intro, and each closing will simply be the credits. Whatever shout-outs and love I want to give, I'm going to save all that up until the end. I want you, if you're binging the story, to maintain the momentum, to listen, as it were, commercial-free. So, without further interruption, ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 23 Despite the rain pounding the windows and roof, the house suddenly felt full of life, pulsing with hope. Kate awoke with a celebratory feeling, like it was Christmas morning. Both of her blonde Labradors, Roxy and Echo, were sitting by the closed bedroom door, tails swishing on the hardwood. They, too, seemed to be feeling the vibrance and excitement that lay just beyond. And then it was coming inside to greet them. The door handle turned and a woman was nearing the foot of Kate's bed. The dog sniffed at her legs while she stroked their heads. Then the pair dashed off down the hallway. Took a minute to place, this woman. But after a moment, Kate said, Sharon? You are glowing, the woman said as she sat down at the edge of the mattress. 
Kate felt herself blush, and while a part of her wanted to question why the neighbor was even in her house, let alone her bedroom, Sharon's presence was, in a way, comforting. The whisper of alarm bells were quickly covered by a sense of ease. Her neighbor felt less like a stranger, an acquaintance through their shared fence, and more... What? Maternal, Kate thought. She felt childlike again, nursing a seasonal cold, and her mother, Lois, had come in to not only check on her, but to replace used tissues on the bedside with a bowl of chicken noodle soup. Except her neighbor had no food in her hands. Instead, she clutched a ring of flowers with pure white petals. Lilies. She motioned for Kate to lean forward, and again, she felt no fear, no hesitation, and did as instructed. As she lifted the flowers up and placed them on Kate's head, she saw that they were held together by twisted and tied branches. A crown. Like you were born to wear it, Sharon said, and clapped her hands together. It's beautiful, Kate said, then, without understanding why, added, thank you. No, no, Sharon said. We owe you all the gratitude, all the praise. Kate felt on the spot, like she was being honored with an award she'd never heard of. The red in her cheeks deepened. For what? For being the woman who will give Lilith life, Sharon said, and jumped up from the bed like the level of anxiety and excitement in her just wouldn't allow her to sit still any longer. I'm sorry, Sharon. I, I just don't know what you're talking about. Who's Lilith? Oh, sweetie, you've been sharing a home with her. Haven't you felt it? Kate didn't speak, her face obviously showing a continued lack of understanding. No matter, dear. She shows herself in different ways. Hearing this, Kate felt a surge of dread, and the image of the decaying Joan thing in the basement came flooding back. Her flinch was visible, and Sharon sat back down. She placed a soothing palm on Kate's knee. Don't think about it like that. She can be frightening, but just remember, she tests us. Those who make it, who can withstand, that's who she chooses. And Catherine Coleman, she chose you. The hand on her leg worked to cut through some of Kate's apprehension, but she still felt like the room was spinning, the world's axis suddenly off kilter. I'm sorry, she said, not truly understanding what she even needed to apologize for, but continued, I just don't understand. That's okay. You're brand new here. Some of us have had the luxury of growing up with the sisters. I personally couldn't have been luckier. In fact, it was my great-great-aunt who first wrote down the foundation of what we still practice today. Though most of us believe the sisters have been coming together far before her time. Practice? Kate asked. Yes, ma'am. Right here on this very spot, you see, this house wasn't chosen at random. Over 150 years ago, women were worshipping the goddess on this spot. Sharon was standing again, waving her hands as she spoke, then put one finger over her lips as if encouraging a whisper. In secret, of course. So you're saying you worship a goddess named Lilith in my house? Kate asked. We worship the goddess Lilith, yes, Sharon said. And you will too. 
At this, Kate didn't speak, but just reached up and touched the flower crown on her head. In other parts of the house, Kate could hear voices. Separate conversations, all sharing the same sort of enthusiasm Sharon had brought into the room. Haven't you felt her touch? Her pull? That warm, motherly embrace cradling you? Kate had to admit that, yes, ever since she'd woken up in the graveyard, the crushing anxiety, the sinking sensation, the near-constant vibration in her arms and legs, it was all gone, washed clean, like she'd been absolved, unburdened. Though she might not have attributed this emotional and mental freedom to her neighbor's deity, she had to admit, it felt good. And hey, if this Lilith was responsible, why not give it some more looking into? Kate said, I have been feeling good. Sleeping better. Though, I'm still sick to my stomach. Alas, Sharon said, that's the one thing I won't be able to commiserate with. None of the sisters can. But again, that's why you are so special. Why? Kate, we are barren. For most of us, it's simply a genetic thing. Hereditary. My bloodline has been sustained by outside women. I'm the last in a long line of Westerberg women that were born without the ability to carry on the name. Most generations had sons, and their wives kept us going. Except for me. I was an only child. So... The name will die with me. Westerberg? Kate asked, the horror of realization crawling into the features of her face. Wait, you're, you're Rose? Sadly, no, uh, but she was a great woman. She was my great-great-aunt. And her husband was Patrick. We are standing on the outskirts of what was once their estate. Then and there, everything seemed to fall into place. The decrepit colonial plantation-style home at the crest of the hill. The graveyard, and then the tombstone she'd woken up next to. P.D. West. Except the granite was broken. Chipped away. P.D. West. Patrick D. West. Patrick D. Westerberg. Yes, he woke up next to his grave. Makes sense. It was his grief. His depression that got us here today. From the other room, she could hear even more voices, followed by the whimper and puff of her dogs in the midst of many petting hands. Kate asked, how do you mean? You see, he was devastated. There he was, a decorated Confederate officer, owner of a vast plantation that, even after those northern cowards declared victory, still produced immeasurable wealth for both he and Rose. But he couldn't pass anything on. Rose was simply unable to have children. But she prayed and prayed, and when God didn't answer, someone else did. Lilith, Kate said. It was then that she realized that she'd let the comforter fall from beneath her armpits. She'd been sleeping in the nude, but she made no attempt to cover her bare chest. There was something about Sharon, about her words, that made her feel more comfortable with herself than she had in some time. Exactly, Sharon said, and jumped up once again. This Lilith, Kate said. The subtle sliver of herself that was still trying to rebel crept out. She's the one that's been following me around the house? Breaking our records, all of that? Like I said, she tests us. And, well, she needed to see if you'd prove worthy. 
She needed to separate you from, Sharon said. Behind her, two women Kate didn't recognize had stood in the doorway. From others. Others, Kate thought. Like Megan and Kyle? Aloud, she said. Like Denny? Wait, where's Denny? Where's my husband? Sharon scoffed. Where do you think? Where does he always go when times get tough? He left? Kate asked. The rebellious voice was quiet then, as if trying to make sense. The rest of her, the part that felt drawn to Sharon, to the confusing but comforting words she was speaking, was taking over. That's his way, Kate, isn't it? Kate said nothing. That's the way men are. Whenever they're needed, they're nowhere to be found. He gave you the one thing he was good for. We can remember him for that. But won't it be nice to not have his burden on your shoulders any longer? His drunken freeloading? His domineering ways? Denny wasn't like that, Kate said, and was shocked that she used the past tense already. Denny didn't dominate me. Didn't he, though? Just because he didn't hit you or keep you from seeing your friends, that doesn't mean he wasn't abusive, wasn't holding you back. He loomed over you, over your life, like a heavy cloud, the stench of his failure all around you. Didn't he always choose the music, the movies you'd watch? Kate nodded her head. But that's all over now. He served his purpose. And now you're free, Sharon said. Behind her, the two women repeated in unison, Free. Free, Kate whispered. Then, what purpose? What did he do? Can't you feel it? Sharon asked. In other parts of the house, there was the sound of furniture moving, more voices murmuring directions. Don't you wonder why you've been feeling sick in the morning? Why you've been sleeping so much? Kate shook her head. Then all at once, more realization dawned on her. That sensation of being fulfilled, of entering a new phase in her life, of achieving the purpose she hadn't known what she was destined for. It was why the dogs had been so protective. They knew something that Kate hadn't. Not yet. But now it was becoming clear. She asked, I'm pregnant? Isn't it wonderful? Sharon said clapping her hands over and over. Wonderful, the women behind her said. The reaction of these women somehow felt good, strong, like she were being lifted up. Kate pictured how the scene might have played out with Denny. Once hearing the news, she saw him begin to pace, to light a cigarette, to head straight for the nearest drink. Then he'd start talking about how bad it was for them to bring a child into this world. What a terrible idea, with all the filth and carnage. Then he'd talk about how ill-prepared he was to be a father. He'd shake and probably cry. He'd call his fucking mother. Mama's boy, Kate thought. He'd do all that and not stop for a second to think about how Kate might be feeling. Not ask if she were scared. Nor would he even consider that anyone other than himself was scared in that moment. God, Sharon was right. Denny was like every other man in the world. Selfish. They were takers. Good riddance, Kate thought. Run to your mommy. Are you ready? 
Sharon asked, extending her hand toward Kate. For what? Kate asked, staring at the outstretched hand, but not grabbing it. You can't very well give birth to the living incarnation of our Savior if you aren't one of us. We will cleanse you, drown the old Kate, and in turn pull Lilith's mother from the waters of salvation. My sister's here. They're going to get you ready, okay? Rather than respond, Kate looked at the two women filling the doorway, then at Sharon. Then she reached out and took the woman's hand and allowed herself to be pulled out of bed. This episode of The Ghost Modernist was presented by Dr. Scarelove, with music provided by Atrium Carcheri. Links can be found in the show notes. Follow me on Instagram at The Ghost Modernist, and please rate and review on Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. That's it for this chapter. Remember, there are two types of people in the world. The haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?